Hey, everybody. Welcome to Inside Situation, a bi-weekly podcast where we share with you some of the conversations we're having in the agency. I'm Peter Yajisic, head of technology at Situation. And my two guests today are Ryan Patrick Durham, our senior creative strategist. Hello, Ryan. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And Chris Hawthorne, our associate creative director of video. Welcome, Chris. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, guys. You're both, this is both your first time on Inside Situation, right? Yes. Have either of you been on any podcast before? Or is this... No, this is your first podcast. I actually just listened to my first podcast, like, last weekend. Oh my gosh, what was it? uh, Serial. Shocking. Okay. Season one? Season one. Okay. I haven't, I haven't gotten to the end, so don't ruin anything for me. Well, that's okay. We'll, we'll, by the end of this episode of this podcast, we'll find out which of you is a murderer. (laughs) (laughs) It's Chris. It's not. It's definitely me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, thank you guys both for being here. Uh, the topic that I wanted to go over today and I thought you guys would both be perfect for, uh, I'm calling navigating subjective feedback in a creative agency. And what I mean by that is you both have jobs that require you to kind of take creative risks and come to the table with ideas uh, that are that are purely subjective on some level that that are just I have a feeling this will work as opposed to, you know, some a lot of the stuff that we do here is backed up with data and tracking. And that's how we make decisions. But you two are uniquely positioned, as is a lot of our creative team, to come to the table with just crazy ideas uh, to try things. And you may get feedback from other members of our team or from the client that say, you know what, I'm just not feeling that, or you haven't convinced me, or I want it to be blue and not green. And I really think uh, I'd love to hear from you both how you deal with that, what kind of armor you put on to keep going to the well in the face of subjective criticism, even you know in those rare instances when you know you're right, but you've got to try something else that something else that somebody else has a really strong opinion upon. Maybe they're paying the bills. Maybe they're paying your paycheck. So I, I, that, that's really the, the area that I'd like to talk about today. But before we jump in to give our, our listeners a little bit more context about the kinds of decisions and creativity you're bringing, can you each just briefly say what it is you do here at the agency? Ryan, let's start with you. Uh, sure. So uh, as Peter mentioned, I'm senior creative strategist, and it's a kind of unique role in the sense that we, as the creative strategist, straddle the creative side of things, but also kind of the more businessy, data-driven kind of things. So we kind of, we're the ones who have to bridge that gap and finding a way to merge the creative with with the data. So I kind of, I described it one time as I get to not only use my business brain, but I also get to use my crayons. So. And, and I like that. I like that a lot. And, and functionally, when we're putting together plans for our clients, mm-hmm. are, is it fair to say that you're kind of a, a key part of the team of saying, what are the things we are going to pitch to the client? Yeah, in tandem with you know the account team who's figuring out what our clients need and want, and with our media team who's really driving the media strategy, uh, the creative strategist is driving the creative side of things and kind of right. how are we messaging certain things, what do things look like, we're the ones driving that that planning. So, so the, the account team will know you know, what the budget is for the client and then they'll tap your brain to say, come up with crazy ideas. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, I will say it's not just come up with crazy ideas. It's like, how are we, what's the baseline? You know, where yeah. are we, how do we start from a foundation of something and build a creative framework so that our brilliant designers and, you know, Chris, our video team and our copywriters can figure out how we actually execute against that. Right. So we are definitely less executionary 
uh, and more kind of really setting the, a really solid foundation so that our creative has some basis and strategy. Great. So the plane can take flight. Exactly. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. And Chris, uh, Ryan alluded to the fact that you are a key figure of our video team. We've had Miriam on the podcast a couple of times, and we've talked about the creation of our video team. Um, but can you briefly tell you know our listeners what it is that you do day to day? Sure. Well, my day to day is split into almost two roles. The first is overseeing all the creative, uh, the video creatively. So determining what we should be doing, how we should be doing it, uh, looking at edits as they come through, making sure that we're creatively executing everything to the standard I think situation is set. Uh, and the second thing I do is actually kind of jump in the trenches and direct and edit myself. So I'm the guy that calls action on set. I spend half my life organizing gear and lenses, you know, dragging gear around the city and then pulling all that footage into the into the edit suite, into the edit bay and, and creating videos. So we work with a variety of vendors. It's Miriam and myself predominantly um, working with uh, everyone in the team and just ultimately ensuring that the videos that we create are beautiful and cinematic and, and high quality. And I think that's what we kind of define ourselves on. Great. And and I, I love that you touched on the fact that you're kind of schlepping gear over the city. You you do have a key foot in the execution phase of what we're doing uh, you know, as not to, you know, say that Ryan, you don't, but I think that part of, there are certain parts of our agency that have matured enough where we've fleshed out the teams to be large enough where we have people just ideating and then passing off to an execution factor with our video department. It's a little bit different. You guys being relatively new, but also amazing, um, are doing a, a little bit of double duty with the hopes that this will continue to grow and, you know, there will be, you know, maybe more folks in there doing some of the execution. But for now, you're kind of doing a lot of hat, wearing a lot of hats. That's right. That's right. It's certainly a challenge. I think the good part about that is it keeps you really fresh. Mm -hmm. Like if you're the one that's just come off of a set and you've met with a director of photography and we spent half an hour talking about this amazing new camera and its sensor and what it does and how it works well in low light. Then you come back to the office and you're asked to shoot a video. You're thinking, you know what? I know about all these different things that are happening in the industry right now. Why don't we try this crazy thing? Or why don't we do this? Or why don't we use this light? Or why don't we shoot in this location? So it's really great to, to be on those front lines um, and, and shooting across the city or across the nation, whatever it might be. Um, or, or across an ocean. Or across an ocean, which is hopefully doing some more international work soon. <laughs> Excellent. So it's, it's very exciting. And I think you, you kind of have to be making stuff to be talking about making stuff. Hmm. Uh, I think it's important. Yeah, I, ex excellent point. So let, let's get into the – let's start, I guess, with kind of the, the pitching process in order to kind of segue into our conversation. How are you guys asked in your jobs, whether you're executing or planning, to, to be creative? What are some of the things where you start with a blank piece of paper and you're, you're putting the crayon – uh, to call back to, to Ryan's analogy, you're putting the, the crayon to the paper for the first time. How does that manifest in what you do day to day where you're just, okay, I'm starting from square one? That's a very good question. I would say for the most part, the creative, the creative strategy team is kind of the first point of contact when something comes back from a client, uh, or if we identify an opportunity, if there's, you know, if there's this big thing going on and we want to be there to capture content or if we're planning, right. a lot of times we're kind of the, not the gatekeepers, that's the wrong word, but we're the first people who hear about it on the creative team. And it's kind of our job to take that, take it in, take a step back and say, great, we know what 
the client wants to accomplish or what the goal is. That's right. that's the way that we work best is by hearing what the goal is, not how we're going to execute it or exactly what we're going to do, but saying, you know, the the client wants to showcase the set or they want to, you know, promote people going to New Jersey to a football game, whatever that may be. And then saying, great. And then it's also asking the questions, well, what are, what are the best assets we have to work with? And what do we think strategically? Is there data there that we can back things up with saying that mm-hmm. people love uh, one specific person or they view videos on a Thursday, something like that? And so it's up to us to kind of sit back and put all those things together. And then, like I said, that's kind of building the framework. So we're right. putting this framework together so that we can then – kind of go in with everyone else and get to do the fun part of being creative, which is brainstorming, right? which is where you kind of get to go into a room and throw things to a wall and see what sticks. So so before you decorate the house, you've got to get the layout. You've got to get the rooms built. And you have to build the foundation. And then you can build the, pick the furniture and the wallpaper. Exactly. And, and I imagine sometimes those, some of the dictates against which you're working are, this is when a show is opening. We, mm-hmm. we often work with clients many months, sometimes years before a production finds a theater or a TV show premieres. So we have kind of a ramp up. We know that there's a, a milestone date of a big moment. And then obviously we have to support that as that thing goes mm-hmm. on, whether it's a show or a TV show or a sporting event. That's one of the exciting things about the a lot of the clients we work with since they are more kind of – you're having experiences. We're not selling shampoo necessarily. So we don't need to say like, you know, we don't need a, a Facebook post that's all about how great, you know, this is going to make your hair look and how it's going to be silky and smooth. We can kind of tell stories. So, you know, with one of our, our clients who has a show opening in the spring – it's it's this iconic story that people know and love and relate so strongly to. So, like, we identify that as a great asset. Mm. Now, there is not necessarily any data that says, you know, 65% of people are going to react to, you know, this certain storyline. But we get, to, we get to create for a creative property. So it's like a double whammy of being creative. Right. The hard part is, is though, like, finding the strategy in that. Because yeah. you can never, like, I firmly believe you can never really divorce the creative from the strategy. Right. Well, and, and going back to the, the, I don't know if you said shampoo. You said shampoo, right? I think shampoo. Toothpaste, toothpaste yeah. is our go-to kind of malign <laughs> thing. It's like, well, at least we don't sell toothpaste. But uh, I think, you know, something that Damien says frequently, which I think really does permeate what we do, is that there's something great about every brand. Mm-hmm. That uh, And I think, to your point, with, with storytelling, you know, we don't have to sell the idea that you're going to have a good time when you're having this live event experience for a live show or, or some sign of communal entertainment. Mm-hmm. But, but then to find out, you know, to, to kind of make the case for why this one over another one, um, that is really where the creativity comes into or how is this one going to speak to you. Right. Chris, can you talk a little bit about how does video – at what points – in the process of celebrating and finding the greatness of our clients, does video play a role? Uh, or maybe how does it play a different role depending on the life cycle of, you know, a year out, a few weeks out when something happens? Can you talk about that a little? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll start by talking about when we receive the video brief, as it were, because I think that relates to, to the way Ryan structured his question. So if we, or sorry, rather his answer, um, if we, if, if the strategy is sitting there and is dictated and, and it is the foundation um, and then the rooms are decided, like let's use that for an example, the rooms are decided. So we know we're going to have a kitchen. We know we're going to have a living room. 
We know we're going to have a bathroom, the basics of how we're going to create a house. The video is kind of like the roaring fireplace in the middle of the lounge room. That's the thing that we're like, great, we know we're going to build it. How do we make it amazing? Uh, so we basically, someone comes to us and it could be Ryan, it could be one of the creative strategy team members and says, we need to make this great video for these three, these three reasons. And we're like, great, this sounds like a really interesting idea. Uh, and then we, we kind of jump into the brainstorm process and we kind of run with it. And as Ryan said, that's really fun because we're like, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? Uh, and we come up with something interesting, hopefully something interesting. Um, and then as, as it relates to, parts of the show or life cycles of a show uh that's different show to show i mean at some point um we could be a year out and we know that it's a really valued property so we could say all right let's let's decide to make an interesting teaser like a teaser would be perfect for this now sometimes it's unfortunately a closing video right where we're like let's look back on everything and celebrate this amazing journey that's happened uh, and then there are there are videos that live outside of Broadway shows where it could be a season, it could be midway through a season of a TV show. And we're like, how do we how do we look at what has been created, try and build new fans, try and drive tune in, and create a really interesting parallel story that exists alongside a, a show narrative, which is which is fascinating also. Uh, and Ryan, I think, is right. What we have, what makes the work that we do really interesting is that we are working with story worlds a lot. So we have characters we can play with. We have ideas we can play with. Play with we have themes. Uh, and that is a huge advantage over a lot of other, a lot of other traditional advertising. Right. We don't need to generate it. All we need to do is look at what, what exists in a story and take out elements or highlight elements. And we have so much to work with. It's a very pliable universe to create videos mm-hmm. with. Hmm. That's great. We're storytelling for stories. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's like I said, it's a double whammy. It's, it's so much fun to play in that space. Cause we have not only the real world to work in, but then we also have this whole other world that's been kind of fabricated that we can work within. Um, I think sometimes that's also a detriment to us because we lose a lot of foundation because of that, because we're working with creative people in a creative space on a creative project. But back to Chris's point, I think that's why it's always so important to identify, like, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. Why are we creating this video? Why are we creating this microsite? Like, what purpose does it serve? Well, I I think you you brought up a really good point that the the pro is, uh, you know, to condense what you said, we were working with good raw materials, that interesting raw materials for the most part, usually. But maybe one of the negatives is we're working with people who are professional storytellers who have very strong opinions, in fact, who are paid to have very strong opinions to craft those stories. So when they're engaging with you guys creatively, they're, you're not, you know, you're not talking to the accountant who's like, I'm not creative. I don't know what's happening. You're talking to directors and producers who say, I do this for a living, kid. It's blue, not green. Right. So so I think does that bring an extra level of challenge to kind of upping your game and having to uh, uh, defend your positions when you have those disagreements? Uh, I would say it, it's actually more of an advantage than you would think. I think having that direct one-on-one conversation with a show creative only makes a video stronger, only makes a product stronger. I think there is, it's an understandable assumption to say, well, they, they must be really protective of their property. In reality, as soon as you have a conversation with them, a lot of, a lot of directors or writers will open themselves up to you mm. and say, we know that this is 
quote unquote unnecessary evil. Advertising is just part of, part of the part and parcel of creating a successful something. Right. Um, they know that, and as soon as you can have those conversations, they're like, "Well, I know that I trust you now because we've had this conversation. I know that you understand the show. So when you come back with something, it's going to be something that's kind of." within within my vision, within the parameters of my vision. Right. And I think that's really positive. The best videos we've made have been when we've had that access. I 100% agree. And I think Chris and I are working on um, a video right now that spurned from that initial meeting with the director of a new musical that's opening in the spring. We were, Chris wasn't there, but I was there. We got to meet with him, sit around the table. He's an incredibly well-respected director and hearing him talk for an hour was not only a professional highlight of like my career, but also so incredibly helpful to understand his vision for the show and how he relates to the show and the characters to the show. And that spurned kind of the, the video series we're now doing for the show. So it was all inspired from being able to talk to the person who's in charge of the creative that's actually on stage. Because, makes... yeah, when you when you divorce those two, you're you're not doing a service to the story being told on stage. Right. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's one of the unique things about at least the live portion of the client, uh, the art industry that we work in. Uh, you know, a lot of times we do have access and some of the greatest, I think, most memorable campaigns, I'll, I'll throw back years ago to something we did for Next to Normal, where we we created a Twitter personality that was the voice of the characters in the show from the playwrights. So, it was, you know, when we had uh, and it just people could tell that something different was going on. Uh, can you talk about how the the idea, the creative ideas that could that come from your world, Ryan, which uh, my favorite example of which is the ice cream truck that we did for <laughs> She Loves Me. I got you very know. fat that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to recap, well, can you can you recap quickly what that idea was? Yeah. So uh, this was for uh, uh, She Loves Me last season for Roundabout Theater Company. The One of the big numbers in the song, kind of the female leads big number is called Vanilla Ice Cream. And so this kind of spurned out of, uh, well, everyone, you know, people know the song People love ice cream. It's, you know, it's going to be kind of running kind of a little bit early summer. Like, what can we do fun? It's like, well, let's just drive an ice cream truck around the city and hand out free ice cream. Like, With the side of which was, you yeah, know, well, the show the entire, art. Yeah, yeah, the entire – and then the entire ice cream truck was wrapped in, in branding. Right. And it, it, it turned out to be – we were at like four different stops. We partnered with Time Out New York at like – Turned out to be this huge people lines that were insane. I mean, probably two, three hundred people deep. And did we necessarily sell a single ticket out of that truck? No, but a lot of people noticed us. So that, right. Well, and I, I think then, Chris, did we? I, I know I saw video mm -hmm. of that. Did we plan to capture video of that engagement that we could then use to extend the reach? Yeah, that that particular example, we we were kind of. It wasn't an original plan, but I think we all kind of came together and said, well, this is going to be super fun. Mm. Why would we not make it, you know, be a little bit more powerful, push a little bit further to people that didn't happen to be in New York, that didn't happen to see a crazy pink ice cream truck drive around a corner and run after it. Right. Uh, and it turned into a really cute video. It's a great example of where video can either drive a campaign or just be a great supporter of it. I think in that case it was a great support. Uh, vehicle, excuse the pun, um, for that for that particular campaign because it, it was it was a very cute little video. It was a great stunt, um, and I think everyone was very very happy with it. Yeah, but that's well, a good point about like you know video 
it was not video at its core, but video was an awesome complement. You know, it's a yeah. 360 degree approach to how we're doing something. So it's not, we don't, we try, or at least I, I know I try to always push to never work in a bubble, especially like as us as kind of the digital, perceived as the digital folks to never work in a bubble. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to your point of, you know, the the traditional agencies may be creating the TV spot, but how can we make sure that that TV spot is not just handed over to us, that it's actually catered towards a digital audience? And a lot of that has to do with collaboration between right. us at Situation and then whoever else is creating the TV spot. And that goes to the topic of like, that's completely subjective because digital is such a relatively new space and it's changing all the time that it's really hard to say this visual works well on YouTube or this visual doesn't work well on YouTube. It could be great for a TV spot, but it maybe doesn't work on YouTube. And that is almost purely subjective. There are logistical things like you need to have captions on a video. You need to, you know, do certain things, but a lot of times it's just like, I don't think it looks right for Mm -hmm. Facebook or for YouTube. Right. Chris, you, you, can you give an example uh, of, you mentioned with the ice cream video, that was kind of a supplementary video to support a different idea. Can you give some examples of some of the work you've done uh, that are the where video is the primary function and maybe some of the surprises that happened out of that? Sure. Um, the one that springs to mind, I mean, there are a series. There is a series of different examples. I think the one that probably springs to mind is uh, NBC, the social lounge where that is, uh, video is the driver. So for those that haven't heard of the NBC Social Lounge, NBC Universal Social Lounge, um, it is, it's basically a live show. It's like a Jimmy Fallon-esque live show that we create. There are a lot of fun games. Uh, it happens in conjunction with the um, the Upfronts, which are a huge TV industry event. Uh, and we create almost like a little live show that we swing a lot of great celebrities into. They play games and then that gets driven to social, gets pushed out to Facebook, YouTube, um, Twitter, everything. Like everything is firing for that particular event. So that is that is definitely an example where it is video, it's video, it's all video, and that is working in a conjunction with a series of other things. Um, the learnings from that are always really interesting. I mean, it's the a lot of traditional production values go into something like that. Um, and then we're always learning, like we're, we're a little bit more fast and furious. I think the biggest difference is how instant a lot of the work we do is. I mean, when you create a, a piece of content and you, and you spend three weeks, six weeks slaving over it, and then suddenly it's live and you're watching a real time counter of views tracking right. in, it's both exhilarating and terrifying because you find out pretty quickly whether or not your thing is successful, right. um, which comes back to what, how much do you believe in your creative vision? And, and just to give a little more context to our listeners, we've, we've done that twice now. We've done Correct. the reference twice. And uh, key to what, what differentiated that from other video shoots is we had you had a whole team of editors there on site who were slicing off pieces of the main course mm-hmm. to go right out into the world. So unlike where you might do a traditional video shoot on a stage and you bring it back and you have all the edit, this this was, you know, we're going to we're capturing stuff for a longer piece, but we're also feeding the masses immediately. Yes. Can, can you talk about what you learned from the first year to the second year? What, what were some of the learnings after the first round that you brought into doing it for the second time? 
there are a series of things. I mean, the first thing is that all of our camera technology changed within a year. So we had to completely look at the way we, we approached that. Uh, we upped a lot of our production values. The producing, the line producing, the day of producing uh, was pretty similar. We knew exactly where we had to hit our marks. We knew we had to be flexible here. We knew we had to go here. Um, there are a series of post-production challenges which are always new. I mean, Snapchat didn't exist the year before, so then how do we tackle Snapchat? Um, it's it's really what it is is keeping an eye on where where the the goalposts of technology have moved and making sure that we can kind of keep up with it. Right. So like, what are we going to do next year to make it more and more interesting? And that's the challenge. I mean, we're already starting to think about what we're doing in 2017 and that's who knows what's going to exist in six months time and then we need to really plan for that as well let me ask you a question because the last time damien was on the podcast he talked a little bit about you know where the world was with the idea of things like facebook live and live video versus things that are scripted and planned Mm -hmm. out and how how hard it is to make good content or content that you might want to watch more than once uh, given the influx of everybody's kind of obsession with live right now. Yeah. Can you can you speak to that a little bit? Do you have an opinion either way? Is it, or Do some of the same skills and planning that are involved with a scripted video shoot, uh, can they do well by you in the live space too, or are they completely different animals? Um, at, the, at the end of the day, production is production. So the day of doesn't really change so much. What re- The biggest difference for us between something that goes Facebook Live or gets broadcast in some fashion and something that has time is that the work is fundamentally the same. The difference is everything gets front-loaded in pre-production when it's live and then everything gets spread across pre-production, production and post-production when it is just a standard produced video. So it's the same amount, the terrifyingly same amount of work. You just need to cram everything in and you get one shot. So you notice differences in the way that you tell stories with live um, I think you're working without a net live. Correct. Yes. So that's why so much work has to go kind of like be pushed through in advance and every scenario needs to be run in advance. Otherwise, if something goes wrong, something goes wrong and it's a very right. public way of going wrong. And you right. start to see those as Facebook Live becomes more ubiquitous. And I think that's so important what you just said about it's the same amount of time that goes into a live video that goes into a pre-produced video. And I don't think we honor that enough in right. in what in, in a lot of the things we do. I just don't I think it's like Facebook Live has this perception of being like, oh, this is easy. You just take your everyone your, has a phone. Yeah, everyone has can't an you, iPhone. Can't you just turn on Push your phone button yeah. on your Facebook page and, and go live. Right. And when you're dealing when you're an individual doing that, like sure, that's a lot easier. If yeah. I want to go Facebook Live and talk about what I had for breakfast this morning, right. it was hard-boiled eggs in case you're interested. I am. Uh, good. Uh, but when you're doing it for a brand and, you know, it's a marketing tactic or an advertising tactic, you have to plan it out. Right. Like, And I, I don't – like it's hard to hit that over the head, but you have to plan it out. You have to have strategy. You have to have creative talking about what this looks and feels like. Well, I, I think an analogy that could maybe help people get that is if you've ever seen a really good improv show – compare that to like a team building exercise at a seminar mm-hmm. you know you, you all the planning and behind the work that goes into making improv look easy and amazing is probably similar to all the things you have to do to plan to do yeah. a live shoot you have right. to think on your feet and be very quick and adapt otherwise it's just uh yeah it's a, it can be a disaster and that's the that's the most challenging thing is is when live is done well you never notice it 
it just feels as though it is working the way it should be working and it was inevitable. But when it's done poorly, oh boy, that's when you start well, to notice you, some problems. You would never ask a, a Broadway show to go on stage for the first time without any rehearsal. Right. You know, they have months of rehearsal and they are live. Yeah. So live content needs planning. It's, right. it's simple. Well, uh, so let before we wrap up, let's talk a little bit. I want to I want to pull out of each of you some examples, and you you can protect the names of the innocent if you don't want to go there. But can you talk a little bit about experiences where you know you could either you had a great idea, you came to the table, you could back it up with data of why it was a great idea, but it just didn't get through the final decision process for whatever reason or not. Uh, do either of you have examples that come to mind of of that process and, and how it impacted you and how it affected you uh, either positively or negatively? I, I have the perfect example uh, to what you just said. I will protect the names and the clients with this. But we had what it was definitely certainly a risky video idea uh, and even more so because of the particular client who's very particular about what goes out with the branding and whatnot. Um, it, it was an idea that kind of st- stemmed from this crazy brainstorm sitting in Tom's office and saying, well, what can we do for this specific day, blah, blah, blah. Came up with this great idea, which raised a lot of eyebrows when we started talking to internal teams. And it took a lot of work to even get the internal teams on board because you know Chris and I is – as much as we can be convincing, he's got a great Australian accent. I'm loud at times. It, it takes the entire agency. Ima- to get... Imagine if we had a loud Australian. I Every know. idea oh, would sail through. That's oh awful. <laughs> well, that's, I'm actually unique in so much as I'm not a loud Australian. Right. <laughs> but we, so it, it took, first of all, just to get the internal teams on board. And there was a lot of cajoling for this particular mm-hmm. project. And it was like, we're working with an influencer and we've got content that is insane. It's all over BuzzFeed all the time, all over social. And so we put the strategy there and it was a pretty much a foolproof strategy in my opinion. Um, and it was taken to the client. The client just said, no, Hmm. I, you know, I don't like it. Uh, I under, I understand that it is, you know, people will go crazy for it and it'll get a ton of views. I just don't like it. Right. And I think the way that I, at least I approach dealing with that situation because that is purely a subjective scenario is going, well, I know that everything we put in there, it, it works. It's just, it's personal opinion and you deal with personal opinions. You're dealing right. with creatives who work in a creative space. You cannot get your feelings hurt because of someone's personal opinion. Right. Like that's the last thing you can do. You move on and you look at the other wins you're going to get in the future with that. Well, and as someone who's worked on both the client side and the agency side, that's one of the things I really love about being at the agency is that just because one idea is killed for one client, that doesn't mean the bones of it are necessarily dead forever. Mm-hmm. When you're on the client side, you, you only have so much capital to try crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And if an idea, if you have believe really, really strongly in this idea and somebody doesn't like it, then it's dead, dead. Right. But here, I think sometimes we things revive and come back from the grave yeah. uh, to live another day. Yeah. Chris, I'm, sure, I'm assuming you know which example Ryan is talking about. Do you have anything more to say on that one? Do you have any other examples? I of- do happen to know what he was talking <laughs> about. Um, that one, and I, I guess I'll just tack onto that one and then speak a little bit about uh, some other things that I think are relevant. So I think that for for that particular example, what was interesting about that one is because I think we all agreed that once once we saw it, it was like, great, this is totally going to work. 
Um, but it was already made. We made it. I think mm-hmm. that was a that was a crucial difference. So it, it it went through the process. The client was nice enough to say, "You guys have done all this other great stuff in the past. We do trust you. We're a little uncertain about it, but go and make it, and then we'll decide." And that was a risk we took, wanted right. to take as an agency. Is yes. like we feel so strongly about this, we're going to actually make invest it. our time and hours and money. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I will say that is a strategy, particularly as it pertains to video. We'll often say. Give us a chance because a lot of the time, the interesting thing about video is everyone knows what it is, but they can't always picture it in their mind's eye. Mm -hmm. So we can do a really convincing job. Ryan and I will often go into meetings and say, we see it like this. We, it's going to be beautiful in this way or funny in this way. We're going to shoot it like this movie that you've seen before. And they're kind of like, okay. And then they might say yes, they might say no. And then when we make it, sometimes they're like, well, this wasn't quite what I imagined it was going to be. Or this was better than I imagined it to be. And it's just a challenge to create a vision for what a particular creative product will be. Mm-hmm. And video is inherently subjective. We don't all like the same movies. Um, it's a little bit like comedy. We Some people find Louis C.K. funny and some people find Mindy Kaling funny. Uh, they might not be the same people, but it's very, very difficult to tailor something for everyone. And a lot of the time... Um, advertising is wants to go broad. It does want to go broad. And I think that's where we kind of lose a little bit of our steam sometimes. Mm. And that's the kind of special thing about working in digital creative mm-hmm. is that digital is known as being, you know, a segment that can, that is all based on data. You know, right. our media teams, when they make an argument for something, they have so much data that says, no, this works better than the other. And here's the data to prove it. Right. With, the creative team, and certainly with video, a lot we we have some data that kind of proves it. But like at the end of the day, it is it's subjective. Like we think this looks better, or we think this will communicate it better. It's very difficult when you start out and you're a creative, and you're a copywriter, or you're a director, or you're, an, or you're a designer. Your your whole role is to say I am the creative person, and you have to have a bit of an ego about it. But ultimately, you're going to get your work so thoroughly rejected that it's just a thing you have to contend with. And it's taken me 10 years. I'm still not perfect at it. For sure, I'm not perfect at it because you need to go in kind of guns blazing with ideas. But knowing that nine out of 10 of your ideas are going to be rejected, let's say you get one of those ideas finally made and then that might fail. And what do you do with that? I think it's just, and I open it up to Ryan, as to how you actually balance that consistent rejection it's just something difficult and i think a lot it's it's overlooked i think in creative agencies because it's all go 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 but if you just spend four or four or five hours coming up with an idea like i think this ticks all the boxes and then it never even gets presented to the client in some cases if it does the client looks up from their phone and looks back down at their phone and that's it that's all you ever hear about it again it's a challenge it's a challenge i think it's worth talking about yeah yeah and i think it's it's uh, the value of having a creative ego, the necessity of having an mm-hmm. ego with your creative and not ego as a, as a bad thing, but confidence. Yes. And I think it, it takes time to build that confidence and it takes wins and losses. And I think it also t- takes a, a creative mentor, like for c- creatives who are just starting out, whether they're in the ad world, whether they're playwrights, whatever, I think it's so important to have someone who's been through it who can guide you through building that ego. Mm-hmm. And I know like cause I've been on both sides of the coin where I've had great mentors and then I've also had horrible mentors. And from that, I've learned like, 
just because this, you know, horrible mentor or someone that I was looking to as a creative guide never gave me the inspiration or the confidence doesn't mean that I'm not good or I don't have good creative instincts. That's just a personal thing. That's their ego becoming a, a you know, a bad ego almost. Mm-hmm. Well, confidence in a point of view is attractive, right? Mm-hmm. We, we like confident people. We like people who say, I have a vision. This is my vision. And I think it's often, it's tempting to say that no great thing was done by committee. But I think that's even a little simplistic because I think mm-hmm. sometimes there can be great stuff that's crowdsourced. I think the, the the single visionary often points to the fact that there needs to be one dictator who brings something creative. Mm-hmm. But I think going back to what you were saying, Chris, is catching that lightning in a bottle, there, there's the ra- that recipe is often not repeatable. You can mm-hmm. put yourself in the right position. You can and, – and I think – We've all been in situations where without that strong lead, that strong opinion, things turn into a mess. But I think we've all been in the situation where, you know, the the strong vision has also led us off the cliff. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, not to to rag on uh, Julie Taymor, who's an amazing theater artist who has many, many wonderful things under her belt. And then I think some of the criticism of, of... her more recent work, or not even her recent work, but specifically Spider-Man, was that she was driving that vision very strongly and it just didn't, for whatever reason, have the same appeal as yeah. The Lion King or some of her other stuff. That doesn't mean she's not a true creative visionary and doesn't have a many, many, many things to bring to that to that thought market. It's just that one, for whatever reason, didn't have the same success. So, but but that doesn't. But she drove it in the same way. Mm-hmm. Like she 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 applied her skills and her her vision to it. It just didn't happen. Yeah, and I will say it is constraints are really helpful. Like there is there is a tyranny of choice when you are given completely free reign. Right. So the the brief of you have unlimited budget, do something fun and creative, isn't necessarily helpful. And that's Ryan actually. I mean, if he said that to me, I'd be like well, let's go shoot a feature film. Like that's not helpful though. That's not what we want. Um, so I think when we do when we do have parameters, they are helpful and constraints are helpful. And uh, I'm going to regret saying this, but sometimes clients are helpful because <laughs> they're like, this is what we need this to do. Like yeah. you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. This is the playground you can play in. Go make something for this amount of money. And we're like, great, we'll go do that. Like Ryan and I will work together. We will make something that we think fits the bill for that. Right. Uh, oftentimes that is the very wellspring of creativity is obstacles. Yes. Whether that's not enough budget, not enough time, Mm -hmm. it it, it forces you into that zone of like taking a a risk. For sure. You have to, you will figure out a way that I will do it a lot where I'm like, I feel like this needs to be this. And we don't have either the, we, we may have like, we might have the money to do it. We might, we might not necessarily have the creative license to do it. But I will push for it and make it happen. And then if it fails, it fails. And that's on me for making that decision. But it is often worth making that decision or cutting that corner or doing that interesting thing or working, asking the crew to stay back an extra hour because you want to get that extra shot that you just have a feeling is going to make the edit sing. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that's like honoring the creative and being convinced. It's, it's not only confidence and ego, it's conviction mm-hmm. that that creative decision is going to make the output that much better. And that might be shooting in the woods in, you know, Connecticut or Westchester or shooting in Miriam's basement on a, you know, open flame to get that shot that you know that you need. Yeah. And that's, it's so great working with someone like 
Chris because he has that creative conviction. So I know that if he's saying he needs to do something or if he's telling me, no, Ryan, that's not the direction we should go in, I know he's doing it out of a place of conviction. He's not doing it because he prefers blue over green. He is convicted that it is going to make the output that much better. And I think like – I know there was a question we talked about like does it take a diva to make great creative – no, I think divas make the worst creative because they're not collaborating. I think that collaboration point where two people who are very convicted and confident in what they believe in is where you sometimes find the best thing. Because if I trust Chris and he says something and if I don't agree with it, we're going to trust each other to find the actual middle ground that mm-hmm. makes sense. So so strong opinions but open to collaboration. That's yeah. The- you, I think that's it. I do think that's it. And I think it is – you like I like to surround myself when I'm on set with people that do have strong opinions and good taste and I can say what do you think of this what do you think of this what do you think of this collect those opinions and say great they're all very helpful now how can I cherry pick those that I feel like we can make a better product together knowing that I am the one that is responsible for the bigger thing so I'm collecting a series of opinions and then basically the same thing happens with Ryan with me it's like I come back with a video knowing that he's he sees it as part of a huge overarching strategy and I'm a piece of that. So it's right. kind of like they're consistently going to the bigger picture, bigger picture, bigger picture. Well, and I think if you have a certain amount of emotional intelligence, you want to surround yourself with people that are going to challenge you, mm-hmm. yeah. that are going to speak truth to your authority. Uh, and, you know, as, as long as it is clear at the end of the day, this is the decision tree, that's where it's happening. Uh, uh, yeah. And I think some of the best stuff comes out of that mix. I wish we did that more often, to be honest. I wish we were... I guess as a not just situation, but as an industry, especially in the theater community and in the advertising world, I wish we challenged more. I wish we pushed more. And a lot of it, I mean, there's just politics involved. When you have a client who's making sure the lights stay on, sometimes you just can't push. Right. And that's what's great about like a, a client services team is they're the ones who are supposed to tell us when we're pushing too hard. Mm-hmm. But that's the, the most frustrating thing for me is when we get a – no, a, just a flat no. Right. Not a no, but or a no because, but or it's just appreciate a, the energy you've put into this. But it's just a some no. mitigating factors that you, yeah, right. It's like if you explain like, oh, we actually can't do that because of X, Y, Z, and then it's like, oh, well, you explained it to me. You've shot down my argument. You've made the argument. I'm going with what you say. But if someone just says no, I'm going to keep pushing until you tell me why no, right. or you tell me to. Get out. <laughs> right, right, right. All right. Well, I, I think that's a great place to leave it. Guys, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, I really you. enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure our listeners did as well. Uh, if you guys have any ideas for the podcast, if you'd like to give us feedback, please send us an email to podcast at situation.myc. Ryan, Chris, thanks again. Thank and you, And we'll talk to you guys again in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Thank you.